Let's, let's bow our hearts in prayer together. Father, we, um, we thank you for this marvelous, wonderful reality that my sins, our sins, our burdens were bore by your Son on Calvary. And Lord, I pray that no matter what trials, what circumstances come, that that reality would never leave our mind. That we are one with You. We have died with Christ. We've been risen to new life. And Lord, as we have all these storms coming through and the winds pick up, sometimes we, the wind gets so strong and we, we look outside and we wonder, how do the trees not just fall over? And I ask, Lord, that we, as your children, would be like scripture, what Scripture calls trees planted by streams of water. And that as winds come and attempt to assail us, that we would stand firm, planted in the truth of Christ, in such a manner that when the world looks at us, they would say, how have they not fallen over? And we would be able to use that opportunity to speak of your love and your faithfulness. That Christ is not only the way, but he is the truth and the life. Lord, help us never forget these things. Help us to walk with you in the midst of storms, in the midst of calm. And Lord, as we turn to your word, Would you liven our hearts by the truth that we read? Would you convict us of our sin? And would you affirm us, affirm to us the work of Christ? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There, there come moments when you tend to lose your bearings in life, where you don't really know which direction is which. And I, in those moments, sometimes I, I wonder, this, this must be what it's like to be in a ship in the ocean. There's no point on the horizon that you can fix yourself, that you can say, I'm going to that tower, I'm going to that mountain peak, I'm going to that outcropping. There's no place to fix your direction on. It's just everywhere you look is the same. Some of you think, well, that's what it's like driving across Nebraska. It's just all the same. It's all flat. But imagine being a mariner out at sea. You've been out on the ocean for a few days, and you just trust that you're going the right direction. And then a storm comes. And it's not like what we had a couple times this week where it's here one hour and gone the next. No, it's like a two, three day storm. And it's strong enough that you don't get to decide where your ship is steered toward. It just moves you around. It jostles you. It turns you against your will. It's cloudy day and night. It's windy. The waves are crashing. The ship is tipping and then it becomes clear. And you have no idea where you've been moved to in the ocean. 
You have no point of reference. There's no, well, that wave looks familiar. I think we've been here before. And it clears. And you see the sun, and you at least know which way is east and which way is west. And then at night, the stars come out, and being an experienced mariner, you know where you are, the direction you're heading, how far off course you've drifted, and how to get back. Because the stars guide you. They're your point of reference. They're the truth that keeps you moving. The storm is gone. It's clear. It's calm. And what a relief it must be. And I'm not talking now because now we have like, this is like pre-GPS in your pocket, pre-clunky Garmin screen that suction cups to your windshield and leaves rings everywhere because you never put it in the same place twice, pre-18 pages of MapQuest to go to the right McDonald's. This is pre-all of that. This is a compass and a star map, and the, the two are able to align together, and I can't imagine the relief that sailors in those moments must have felt, not only that they were still afloat, but now they knew where they were again. I also want you to think... Um, in our country's history, think of, I, I just got done reading a book on the Underground Railroad, so, so here you, you, you get some of that. Imagine having been a slave. In the last 20, 30 years, all you've known is forced labor with no reprieve, harsh treatment, hunger, near starvation at times. You finally had it. And you've heard a rumor that the Underground Railroad has gotten close to where you are, even in the Deep South. And so you find your night, and you make a run for it. But you do so on a clear night, so you can see the stars a little. Because as you're darting as fast as you can through the swamps, through the forests, over the hills, through the valleys, around the towns, to get to what you hope will be your security or your chance of freedom, you don't know where you're going. You've never hiked through here. You don't know the landmarks to look for. All you can do is every now and then when there's a clearing, look up, find the North Star, and make sure you're going in the right direction. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're in the middle of a storm and you need it to clear so you can know where you're at. You've just come out of a storm and you're waiting for that first starry night or you're running for your life hoping to get any glimpse of the North Star that you can so that you can make sure you're going the right direction because it's really hard to know what the right direction is. The good news for those of us trying to get our bearings is we don't have to look to the stars. We look to the maker of the stars who sent his son to die for us. And John, all through this letter, we're finishing 1 John today, all through this letter, time and time again has pointed us, has pointed the little children of this church as he calls them, to Jesus and the promises of God that are realized through his finished work. 
so that we can have solid footing in times of great uncertainty. And as all the doubts arise, as all the attacks on our faith arise, as all the questions whether Jesus is sufficient or Jesus is who the Bible says he is arise, John keeps bringing us back to Jesus, bringing us back to the love and the light of God over and over and over again to give us this footing that the truth of Jesus, His character, His finished work would give us certainty and hope and direction in a way that cannot be replicated by any other source. And we live in such a time where the phrase of today is speak your truth and live your truth. And I remember, I remember being high school and college and the and the big debate of the time was whether or not absolute truth existed. And now absolute truth has, they, they say absolute truth is there, but your absolute truth is different than my absolute truth. And to live your truth and speak your truth. And that's what's important. And, it's, and it is so important to be genuine to who we are and to, to live and, and act in that level of integrity. But we also need to acknowledge that there is a the truth and his name is Jesus. And if I rely on my truth in times of trial, I'm never going to get out of those woods. I'm never going to find my place in the ocean. If I rely on my truth, I'm never going to find the solid footing I need. But when I rely on Jesus, who is the truth, the way, and the life, I have a foundation. I have a rock. I can, I can find myself in the rock of God. This morning, as we get ready to finish this, this letter from John, I want us to see this. In the midst of the world's chaos, followers of Jesus need to keep an eye on the north star of God's promises and holiness. And we keep an eye on the north star and, and John gives us a few ways of doing it here. First is in knowing what we have. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's read the passage. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say we should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God, he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, 
in his son Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So the first way we keep an eye on the North Star is we know what we have. As we, as we move through this text, I want you to see a, a structure that's in this text is we have an affirmation, a challenge, and an affirmation. And this is the first affirmation. John is wanting to affirm to us what we can know. He's wanting to build us up. Know this thing. Know that if you believe in the Son of God, that you have eternal life. Peter calls this in his epistle, the living hope. Know that you have the living hope. We don't want to be beggars on the street who are ignorant of our riches. Know that you have eternal life, that you have this living hope. As you get up in the morning, as you go through your day, as you lay your head down at night, know that whatever trials have come that day, whatever disagreements, whatever tensions with other people, whatever insecurities about yourself or your job or your family, know that if you believe in the Son of God, that you have eternal life. And when we believe and we know that we have eternal life, it gives us a freedom. It gives us a freedom to abide in God. John has told us over and over again that we abide in God and He in us. And when we know that we have eternal life, we have the freedom to rest in God, remain in God, abide in Him, spend that time with Him. We can slow our hurry because of what Christ has accomplished when we keep our eye on the eternal life that we've been given. We don't need to operate in fear, but we can operate in confidence. And we can have peace. We can have peace with God, knowing God has already purchased my eternal life. He's not sitting there with a hammer playing whack-a-mole with us, that if we pop our head up the sin hole, then he just smacks us and like, oh, they had a good run, but I got them. We have peace with God. And we have a peace in this living hope that we are co-heirs in the kingdom of God where the streets are made of gold and the gates are made of pearl that we don't need to chase after the treasures of the world. We don't need to live for what the world lives for. We don't need to keep up with the Joneses and have the best car, the best watch, the best phone with more cameras than it has buttons. We can rest in the peace that we have eternal life. That all of this is going to fade away. All of this will return to dust. All of this will be burned up. But my soul is made of eternal substance. And it will be in the city of my God, praising his name. With every tribe, tongue, and nation. We can live without fear. 
We don't have to be afraid of ourselves knowing we have this eternal life. Our eternal life is secure. No one can take us out of Jesus' hand. Nothing in our past or presence, no, no angel, no demon, no height nor depth can separate us from the love of Christ. We don't need to be afraid of what sin we're going to commit next. Nor do we need to be afraid that when we live for God that the world is going to isolate us and ostracize us and shame us because our hope is in heaven and our fellowship is with God and through the body of Christ. So we don't need to worry about any sort of opposition that the world would have, whether that, whether that opposition comes in lies about God because we know that He is the truth. We know how He has worked in us. We don't need to worry about isolation and loneliness when we speak about our faith to our neighbors because we have a living hope that we can live in confidence of. And this eternal life also gives us the freedom to love people around us, that we can love them as we've been loved. Not in a way that requires a transaction. Not in a something that says, you show me your kind first and then I'll love you. But in a, but in a generous, God-modeled love. And when we speak, think of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can love them freely, knowing that they also have eternal life. That God loved them enough to send His Son. That God saw them as valuable enough to save their soul. And if God loves them so much, how can I not love someone my Father loves that much? And for those who are in the world who don't have eternal life, who don't have that security, let's love them knowing that they need that. Knowing that God desires that none should perish. But he doesn't just stop at eternal life. In fact, he, he says eternal life kind of briefly. And then he says, and this is the confidence that we have. What's my confidence? I have eternal life. Where's my confidence in that found? My confidence is found in this, that when we, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that, that the requests we have asked of him. We know that God hears our prayers. That's our confidence. When I pray something, I know it has reached the throne room of heaven. Psalm 18, 6. You heard my cry from help. It reached your ear. It reached your throne. There's this amazing miracle that happens whenever we pray, that we pray here, whether it's in this room or in your home or in your workplace or in your classroom, that when you pray, God in heaven hears you. And you say, well, what does he do with that? Well, he answers your prayers. In Daniel 10, Daniel has a vision, totally freaks him out. So he starts praying and fasting. Three weeks in, Michael the archangel comes to him and says, Daniel, the, when you started praying, God heard you and he sent me and I've been battling the prince of Persia these last 21 days. Here's what Michael told Daniel. Daniel, the moment you prayed, God did something about it, but it took three weeks for you to realize it. Sometimes we pray and we assume because we didn't get the desired outcome that God didn't answer our prayer. God answered your prayer. Sometimes that answer is no. Sometimes that answer is not yet. Sometimes that answer is yes. 
And sometimes it takes a long time to realize he's answered that prayer. When I was, when I was a junior in high school, I had a friend of mine die in a car accident. And I, my faith walk up to this point had been relatively pretty easy. And so my advice to anyone going through anything was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is good advice, but, but sometimes you need to like, be sensitive in the time you share that advice. But I, I just trumpet that advice everywhere. Any, any friend of mine struggling with anything. You know what? I know this is hard, but we can give thanks because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is sovereign. God is good. God loves you. And I went, before my friend died, I saw him in the hospital bed in the ICU at the Nebraska Med Center. His face was swollen. There's machines everywhere. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 came into my mind. And all I could pray was, God, how is this your will? God, how is this your will? And I prayed that for a little while. Three years later, having quiet time, I decided, oh, I haven't read 1 Peter in a while. I'll read 1 Peter. I get chapter 1, I get verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've been troubled by various trials. These have come to you so that your, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is greater worth than gold, may result in the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ when he is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, I'm losing some words. <laughs> but we get the unspeakable joy of realizing the salvation of our souls. And it hit me. And it was like, it was like the Spirit of God just said, this is why I was building you. And I was building others. I prayed. Three, it, it took God three or four years to say, this is, this is why. And I still don't understand all the fine details of it. God hears your prayers. And we have the confidence that when we pray, we can walk away saying, God heard that. And my request is before him. He is infinitely good, infinitely wisdom, infinitely holy and loving and powerful. And he knows what to do with this. And so I hope you grow in prayer. Track your prayer. Write down, here's what I've prayed. Every day, here's what I've been praying. So you can go back weeks or months later and see, I prayed that, and then two or three weeks later, God, God did this, and I didn't even, I forgot and I had prayed for it. And we, it becomes a journal of God's faithfulness and provision. Pray with friends. Pray with us on Wednesday nights. We have the Chinese Fellowship Prayer Group. We have a prayer group meeting over in 245 on Wednesday nights at 6.30. Focusing a lot on the 1040 window. Come join us. And, and pray for Highland Park Community Church. Start walking around the neighborhood of that church praying. Find time in your day. Set a reminder to pray for that church. When I talked to Philip, he says the most, the most important thing we need is prayer. This is spiritually hard work. This is tough soil that needs to be made into fertile soil so people respond to the gospel. So we keep an eye on the North Star by knowing what we have. That's eternal life, and we have a God who listens to our prayers. And we also know our struggle. John does not do 
an about face here <coughs> in verse 16 from, from prayer and affirmation to sin. But he brings them together because they actually go together. I have a friend who on occasion when we get ready to pray, he'll say, has it come to this? Is this so serious we need to pray about it? And so on, right after we have our requests before God, he directs us, he gives us something to pray about. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. With the confidence of knowing that God hears and God acts, John goes to what happens when you see your brother sinning. What happens when your brother or sister in Christ puts together a string of bad decisions that makes you go, oh, that's not good. Too often what happens are avoidance and gossip. Oh, that person's making really bad decisions. I don't know how to talk to him about it, so I'm just going to stand over here instead of coming alongside of him. Or we go up to someone else with good intention. Do you know what's going on? you know what's going on with, with this guy? You know what? I, I heard this. What have you heard? And it turns into gossip. I'm not saying we should never talk about our brother who's sinning. I'm saying we should talk about him a lot, but we should talk about him not with a circle of friends, but on our knees before the Lord. We should talk all day long to God about that person, praying for their deliverance, praying that God will help them, and God will give them life. Sin is a problem that's serious enough that we should pray about it. And too often we only take sin seriously if it happens to us. Not if it happens by us, not if it happens to someone else, but if it happens to us. But what if we started taking sin as seriously as God does? What if we cared about it to that level? And then John throws in this verse, and sometimes I wish he wouldn't do things like this. Because it really makes my job harder. To those who commit the sin that does not lead to death. There is a sin that does lead to death. To death, And I don't say we should pray for that. And that's all he gives us on it. John, like you need an appendix to your letter here, buddy. Like what are you, like people are going to preach from this. What are you, like come on, man. So what is the sin that leads to death? First of all, I think it's, it's worth pointing out. John gives very little attention to this. And we could, we could go down wormhole after wormhole trying to figure out what this is. The point that John is writing to us is take sin seriously, pray for your brother when he sins. That's what John really wants us to see. There is a sin that leads to death. What is that? Well, it could be this, the ultimate sin, like the, the one sin that, that leads to death is not believing in Jesus, is what you could argue. But we pray for non-believers to come to know Jesus. I think when we look at John, when we look at his background, he was a disciple of Jesus. We go to when Jesus said, Whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit has committed a sin that will not be forgiven. So what in the world does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I think it would be a couple things, and I don't, think, I don't think they're in disagreement with one another. One is an ab- absolute to-the-grave refusal to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
And that goes along with not believing in Christ. It could be they've tasted Christ, the Holy Spirit prompts something, they refuse it so strongly they become obstinate to the Holy Spirit, they've blasphemed Him. The other is someone who uses their platform to turn people away from the Lord. And we live in, Hightower brought this up a few weeks ago, we live in a day and age where we're seeing Christian leaders who were very influential walk out on their faith and encourage others to do the same. That's a clear blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And it gives us great pause when people we've trusted for so long, like Joshua Harris, just completely walk out on the faith. And I hope he'll repent. I hope he'll come back to Christ. But it doesn't look good. We need to deal with each other's sin and we, in a loving way. We need to be concerned for each other's walk with God. This sin is a struggle. Satan is a mortal enemy. And we also not only need to deal with our brother's sin, we need to deal with our own. We know that everyone, that includes us, who's been bored of God, does not keep on sinning. I don't know your life. If you have habits that promote sin, don't keep on sinning. Grow in habits of righteousness. If you're struggling with your own sin and you don't know what to do with it, this is, would you take a piece of paper, write out every sin you've done that comes to mind. Draw a cross over the paper, and then with a red sharpie, as you pray for forgiveness for each sin, after you've prayed for that, cross it out, and then throw it away or burn that paper. Know that your sin has been forgiven. Walk away from that sin. We should always be snuffing out sin where we can and growing in the likeness of God as the Theological rapper Shylin put it, I, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less. And I hope that as we grow in Christ, that we sin less. We'll never be fully sinless until we get to heaven. But may we sin less. May we drop the habits. We, and he says this in verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, He who has been born of God, the only begotten one of God, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I think of uh, Psalm 23. I'm walking with my shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This world is in And of itself, a valley of the shadow of death. It's one of those valleys. And the evil one runs it, and we are not of the world anymore. The moment you come to Christ, you are no longer of the world. Your citizenship is in heaven. This is your physical address, but your passport is from heaven. And while we are in the world, we need help. And Jesus protects us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. He is the shepherd that has laid down His life for us. We know His voice. And He holds us in His hand 
and no one can pull us from his hand. So while we live in this world with a heavenly status, we need to know that Satan can't snatch us from Jesus' hand. We should also live in this world expecting some form of opposition instead of being freaked out when it comes. And we should live with intent. We should live in earth with a heavenly agenda. A heavenly agenda for justice. That people be treated equally regardless of their race. A heavenly ambition for justice. That children should not be orphans. A heavenly ambition for justice that sins should be forgiven and that people should know their God. So we know what we have, we know our struggle, and let's know the truth. And I think it's interesting, before we get into this, he said, know who you are, here's all this struggle of sin and living in the world that's under the power of Satan, and then know the truth you have. And in the midst of trial, there's so many times where we need to be reminded of what is what and who is who. We have come and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him. Jesus has come and He didn't come cloaked and hidden. He came with a public ministry, a public death, a public resurrection, and He sent His Spirit, our helper, so we may have understanding into who He is and our sin. Jesus said, I sent, I'm going to send you a helper. That's the Holy Spirit. And the word for helper here is the same idea when, when God gave Adam Eve and said, she is your helper. It's you need this. This isn't to do the things that kind of keep you busy. I'm going to give you a helper because you desperately need a helper. And all the husbands are like, ah, now I get it. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding into who Jesus is and who we are and our need for him. And he has given us that. And then pay attention to this. Count, count the times of true that you may know him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. And the Son, uh, in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God. Three times in a very short distance, John says, true, true, true. And there's all these false notions of God and Jesus. Know that He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can know Jesus who is the truth. You see how emphatic this is. Jesus is not counterfeit. He is not a con artist. He's not trying to swindle you. He is the real deal. He is true. He is reliable. It goes through prophecy. It goes through his coming. It goes through the experience of believers, the sustaining of the church. Jesus is true. And he's just as true now as he was when John wrote this letter, as he was when John walked with him through three years of public ministry saw him crucified and risen again he is true he is that north star that we can continually look to and he is truly sufficient he is our eternal life and then john has this 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 sentence little children keep yourselves from idols I think this is twofold. One, we have 
No need for an idol. The idea that we would chase after an idol is absurd because of how sufficient Jesus is. But we also need to keep away from idols because they will rob our affection. They will open up the, hand, they will open up the door to the evil one. And our idols are different than their idols. They had these idols of, of pagan worship that we, you know, statues and deities that they would offer sacrifices to. Our idols don't look like, I don't think any of you have set out fruit in front of a shrine in your house. I don't think any of you have sacrificed a squirrel in your backyard to a deity or an ancestor. If you have, we should talk. I want you in your mind to to finish the sentence. I will be happy if. I will have full joy if. I will find my fulfillment if. And if you filled in that blank with something other than God, Jesus, it might be an idol. If you filled in that blank with personal comfort, with romance, with your children, with your job or your status or your retirement. With your sports team. With yourself. Then that's an idol. And that idol will cloud the North Star. I'll finish with a quick story here. When I was in college, I went on a winter backpacking trip. And we, our last day, we set out from camp to, we were cross-country skiing up to Lake Superior and then back to the van. And our map had showed very little topography, very few elevation changes. It was like, oh, this is going to be great. We just have to go around trees. We'll go right up to the lake, right back. No problem. It did not show the 50-foot ravines. It did not show the 10-foot ravines. It did not show anything in between that. And so the day got long and the sun went down. We got hungry. And the guy leading us would hear from the back annoying voices, mine included, saying, have you checked the compass lately? Because all we needed to do was go south and we'd meet up to a road that would take us to our van. Because we, we're just weaving through ravines and around hills. Have you checked it lately? Have you checked it lately? Have you checked it lately? Have you checked your North Star? Are you keeping an eye on Him? Are you knowing the truth? Are you remembering that you have eternal life and you're not of this world? Let's pray. Father God, we praise You that You have made eternal life possible. We praise You that You have chosen to save us for your glory. That you would, it was your good pleasure to make us your own. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would keep our eyes constantly fixed on you. That your promises would be firm within our hearts. Help us to walk with you and not waver. We thank You that when we pray that You hear us. In Jesus' name.
Amen.